The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. Uh, let's go now to God's Word as we listen and, and hear from Hebrews chapter 2. Today's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through 18. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thus says the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Kelsey. Welcome back from India. Uh, Kelsey's been in India for two or three weeks doing some mission work, and uh, it's great to have her back home. If you have um, ever been to Rocky Mountain National Park outside of Estes Park, Colorado, uh, you've probably driven up Trail Ridge Road. And uh, Trail Ridge Road goes about 14,000 feet in the air. And just before you get to the top, you can pull off and, and there's an observation deck, if you will. And if you look out over uh, just for miles that you can see, uh, you will look down and you'll probably notice a spot uh, where uh, the Long Lake Dam used to exist. And I say used to because in 1982, that dam broke, releasing 31 million cubic feet of water um, through Rocky Mountain National Park and through the city of Estes Park, causing $31 million of damage as well as taking the lives of three campers. And from the perspective of being on top of the mountain, looking down, um, you, you just have a different kind of feel than if you were on the ground surveying the, uh, the broken dam. Uh, 
Because there's a sense of control when you're looking down on something that, that or a place where there was tragedy and suffering and loss. Uh, there, there's a sense of control, a sense of, a sense of power, if you will. That is not where the, the believers in Rome are when the, the writer of Hebrews writes to them. But they are under the water. They are experiencing the reality of real persecution and the threat of losing their lives. Nero has unleashed um, an unprecedented um, um, campaign against them. He is rounding up believers in the little house church, and he is taking them into the middle of the city and having them tied to poles and literally burned to death. And the reason that he's doing this is because he wants the, the little house church to give up confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and to some degree, it's working. That's why later in the book, you know, preachers use this um, verse all the time, do not forsake your assembling of yourselves together to tell you you better go to church because that's what God commands. Well, it is what God commands, but the context of that is deep suffering. Um, the writer of Hebrews is telling the believers, don't forsake your assembling of yourselves together because I know it's a temptation to do so because you know that there is real danger of being um, um, taken out of that home and being killed. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you still go to worship because you need it. And, and so we see this extreme suffering going on in the lives of, of the believers and you know that in the midst of that, God is seeming small to them. Uh, doubt is, is beginning to, to overcome their sensibilities of the gospel. And so the writer of Hebrews, specifically in our passage, writes to, to tell the believers in Rome and the little house church there three things. He, he wants to write to remind them to not forget who God made them to be. He tells them in our passage who God made them to be. Then he tells them to look at Jesus because he has suffered perfectly so you don't have to. And then he gets to the end and he reminds us that Jesus is a brother who will suffer with us. He's got you. So that sounds like a sermon. Let's uh, go to God and ask him to open our hearts and minds to the passage and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you so much that, that you're a God that has spoken to us as your children. We thank you that you do not just expect us to wander around trying to find the truth, but you have spoken. And yet, Father, we need eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of your gospel. Uh, we need you to speak to us this morning. Father, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought, mind, heart. I pray, Father, that you would give us all the ability to grasp the deep truths that are in this passage, that our lives might change, that we might walk out of this place different than when we came into this place. For we need you, and we need the truth of this passage, because all of life is suffering. All of life is a trial. And so, God, would you come, and would you comfort the afflicted, and would you afflict the comfort, comfortable? And would you draw us to Jesus, and may he be lifted up, and he alone we pray this in His name. Amen. I've been a little under the weather this week, so forgive me if my voice does some strange things, uh, like dry out like that. But, uh, but let's look at this passage. 
the writer of Hebrews writes to a people who are experiencing intense suffering. And the first thing that he wants them to understand is they have to remember who God has made them to be. He's not telling them to believe in themselves. He's telling them to remember whom he has made them to be. Uh, I went to Seattle, Washington a couple years ago, and my friend, who I've known for probably 25 years, works for Microsoft. Um, and um, if you live in Seattle and, and um, uh, you work at Microsoft, you're kind of something, you know, because uh, Microsoft is well-respected. And, and I was really looking forward to going and visiting the campus of Microsoft, and, and it did not let me down. When we pulled in, we went directly underground to uh, the largest underground parking garage in the country. 5,000 cars this thing can accommodate. It's maybe the largest in the world. Uh, but Microsoft spent, I don't know how much money on this thing, because uh, they, they didn't want cars to be seen. They wanted trees and pretty glass buildings um, to be noticed, and not a bunch of cars. And when you come out of the elevator and come onto the campus, you notice uh, pretty glass buildings that are only like two or three, four stories tall. And you see shops and uh, little, you know, fruit stands. And uh, there was actually kind of a carnival, a band playing, and little booths giving away things when we were there. I noticed a soccer field in the middle of the um, of the campus for people, I guess, uh, to go out and play soccer during their lunch break and. And I walked away from there thinking, you know, Microsoft is creating more than just a corporate image. Uh, they're creating an identity. They want those, the, the employees that are working there to feel some sense of worth because they are united, they are employed, they are part of the Microsoft vision. And, and you know, that's really what we all do. Um, if we work at the Apple store, or we work for St. Jude, or we're part of FedEx, we, we find some identity in uh, the corporate um, realities of, of what we do. And yet, though we all do that, uh, that corporate identity is not strong enough to stand up against our real needs as human beings. And that becomes center focus, especially in times of suffering and loss. Because you need more than feeling cool for working for Microsoft. Uh, you need more than feeling cool and working for, you know, the top employer of the country, which I believe is St. Jude. You, you need more than that. You need a deep foundation. Because what suffering does is it comes in and it makes you feel small and insignificant. And that's precisely what the writer of Hebrews is picking up. That's why he goes to Psalm 8. He is quoting Psalm 8 here, and he, he, he quotes uh, Psalm 8 by saying this. I think it's verse 4 where he says, uh, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And the, writer, the, 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 the believers in the church in Rome say, Exactly, that's how we feel. What is man? What is man? We're nothing. We're little peons. And if you really um, read the first several verses of, of Psalm 8, uh, the psalmist is looking at the, the, the planets, the stars, the majesty of heaven, and, and then saying, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? I mean, we're nothing, right? That's how we feel if we're honest most of the time. I mean, even if we do work for a, you know, a big company with a big name, we know we're a little peon in our little cubicle or, you know... We'll talk about that here in a minute. 
And so the writer of Hebrews writes to say, I get it, but listen. Listen. And remember that you, as a human being, have a specific and inherent worth. Verses 5 through 6, and then verse 9 of actually Psalm 8. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, him being man. And yet you have crowned him, you've crowned man with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. And then though the writer of Hebrews doesn't um, put it in here, I had to throw it in because this is the reaction that, that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get. The, the Psalm 8 um, ends with this, this verse of absolute uh, worship. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. We feel like peons, we feel like we're insignificant, our lives are in danger, we go to work, we live, we go to school, and it just seems so all worthless. But listen, God has given us inherent worth. He has given us inherent worth and He's put everything under our dominion. What the writer of Hebrews is doing is going back to Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, and he is really mining those verses for God's people. Because Genesis 1.27 says it is in the image of God that God created man. Male and female, He created them. And what that tells us is that in those moments when we feel most insignificant, we are wrong. Because we as human beings have inherent worth because we are made in the image of the infinite worth of God. We are made after the image. An angel is not made after the image of God. No one in all creation is made in the image of God but man and woman. And so you have inherent worth. So every time that you feel down on yourself, you need to remember, I have inherent worth. I have inherent worth because I am made in the image of the infinite, eternal God Himself. And I have inherent worth. The beauty about inherent worth is it doesn't depend on anything else. It doesn't depend on how you feel. It doesn't depend on how you look. It doesn't depend on how much money you make or how much money you don't make. It doesn't depend on whether you have a job or don't have a job. It doesn't depend on if you're a winner or a loser. It doesn't depend if you're from the north or the south. It doesn't depend on anything other than the reality that God put His exact image on you. And there is no one more valuable and no one less valuable than you right now because of that. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we can, we can claim that in times of real suffering and loss, in times when our confidence has been shaken. But there's a warning there too. We are images, but we are images of God. We are not God. So in those moments when we're feeling a little bit too big for our britches, when we're when our pride is, is overtaking us a little bit, when we begin to think that we deserve more than what we should get, we need to remember that we are just images. All right? And so we've got to live between those two things. We are images of God, but we're just images. We're not God. And and he goes on. He doesn't just say you have inherent worth, go feel good about yourself. He says, you have inherent worth, but but you also have a worthy purpose. He says, God has put 
everything in subjection to us. Unbelievable. God has put His world in subjection to us as human beings. Do you want to know how God wants to manage His world? It's through you and me. That's crazy. Basically, He's saying we are small K kings and small Q queens. We are little kings and queens under His authority, the King of Kings' authority. But everywhere we are, we are to be using whatever authority we have, even if it's very small, to bring Him glory and to bring order and beauty out of the chaos that exists. That's why Paul in Colossians 3 could say, Do your work as unto the Lord. Why did he say that? Just to make us have this positive thinking kind of you know, strategy? Okay, I'm going I'm to pretend like I'm working for the Lord. No. You are working for the Lord. Let me tell you how that translates. I had a job uh, making quarter pounders at McDonald's when I was in high school. And I had this manager, who I've told, I've mentioned before, who obviously hated me because he called me Doug. Uh, He would say, 20 more quarter pounders, Doug. And I would go, that's Richard, but okay. He didn't care. I mean, it happened so much that I knew he was just being a jerk. I mean, he knew my name. I saw other people correcting him. Dude, his name is Richard. Yeah, whatever. He just didn't like me. And for whatever reason, he didn't like me. Have you ever been in a job where you're not treated fairly or maybe you're treated very poorly? If you've had a job, yes. The answer is yes to that. Because uh, there is no perfect manager. Um, and so, what does Richard Reeves do? What, how does this passage um, you know, speak to Richard Reeves? Even if you're making quarter pounders in the back of the kitchen, you're not working for him, you're working for King Jesus. And so, and so it does, you can't use him as an excuse for not doing excellent in your job. You can't blame him for your bad attitude. You can't blame Him for anything because I'm your boss, says God. And I've given you inherent worth. And that's what you must believe. And that's what you must find your identity in. You see it? The corporate identity, if you will, as believers, is what God thinks about us through Christ. And our identity is that we have incredible worth. And this is so important because it is how it, it is during trials that we can mar the image of the gospel the most. You know, anybody can obey God. Anybody can can exhibit joy and happiness and obedience and excellence or whatever in times of great prosperity. But it's in times of real trial. It's in times of real testing that the character of something beautiful is really exhibited. We see it. This is God Himself in Revelation 4, 9-11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him, Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before Him saying, Worthy are You 
our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Why are the elders, why is heaven worshiping God and declaring His glory? Because of the the amazing work that He's done, not just in creation, but in salvation. During suffering, and the the writer of Hebrews pulls this out, it was fitting, says the writer of Hebrews, it was fitting for God to bring salvation through the suffering of His own Son. Why? Because through the suffering of Jesus, and through Jesus perfectly bearing up under the suffering, He gets more glory. And so how do we reflect the glory of God to the world? Remember who you are in the midst of trials and suffering, and show the glory of a different corporate identity. Show the glory of believing that my boss is God. My king is God. The one that I answer to, the one that I stand before is God. And the world can be going absolutely in chaos, but I live for Him. And that exhibits, it exudes a different kind of glory that is attractive to the world. Remember who you are. In times of suffering. Secondly, King Jesus suffered perfectly so you don't have to. King Jesus suffered perfectly so you don't have to. I read this week, um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Voice of the Martyrs. It's a website and a, um, that, that lists the different, you know, Um, I guess, condition of the martyrs around the world. And um, I read about this one man who was giving out Bibles at a mall in Cairo, and a Muslim man pulled him into the security office and demanded he be arrested, and they arrested him, and um, he's in jail simply for handing out Bibles. Um, I think that we no doubt are in... um, are experiencing, at least in the Middle East and Sudan and other places, uh, persecution that is somewhat on par to um, what was happening in Rome in uh, the year 60 under Nero's reign. And it's the first time in my lifetime, it's not that believers have never been persecuted during my lifetime, but, but it's never been like this. I don't remember a time in my life where persecution of Christians specifically uh, was being carried out in the way that it is by ISIS and Boko Haram and, and other entities of evil around the world. Um, and so it's very important that we understand this, but it's even important that we understand this in our day because there's a lot of dissatisfaction um, even with the political candidates we have. I mean, I hear it all the time. You know, so how can we make a choice? And if, if you're for one of the dominant candidates, please don't take this any further than I'm meaning it, but it seems to be kind of a national chorus, you know, can we start over, can we hit rewind and and do this thing again because, you know, we just don't seem to have great, um, you know, uh, our our decisions are going to be hard. And yet, we need to hear the message of what the writer of Hebrews is saying uh, for this reason. Uh, The writer of Hebrews doesn't address the church and say, Okay, guys, we need to create a, a counter-political movement. Um, we need to find our candidate, and let's rally him. And let, here's the str- No. He doesn't even mention Nero. He, he doesn't talk about the politics. He doesn't say, oh, man, you guys, I mean, y'all are really going through it. And, you know, y'all, just, y'all deserve a better candidate. You, no. 
He doesn't do that. But what he does is he tells the church how to be the people of God under evil leadership. He doesn't tell them to overcome the leadership. He tells them how to be the people of God under evil leadership. Because you see, when we take up weapons of, uh, that the world uses, it simply lowers the kingdom of God to, um, to a, uh, an equal tool that the world has. But listen, this is, what, this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Verse 9. All this bad stuff is that, you know, this is what we read. But we see Jesus, Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Verse 11, For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should be made the founder of their salvation, Perfect through suffering. What the writer of Hebrews is doing is this. He he mentions this word, founder of their salvation. He doesn't say, go sail far away and find a country that you can set up a Christian government. He doesn't even say, travel out into the wilderness and found a place and set up, you know, pioneer yourselves into a different land and, and set up a different... No. He says, you already have a different country. You already have a different leader, and his name is Jesus. The founder of our salvation, the Greek word there for founder, is better um, translated pioneer. He's saying, you have a pioneer that has gone before you, and he's already found the promised land. He's already found life. He has conquered death. And so, hear me, I'm going to teach you how to die like a Christian so that the world can see that it has no power. But there is a greater kingdom, and it's not a kingdom of this world. It's a kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's why we must not fight with the uh, the tools of this world. Now, I'm going to get in trouble here, and I understand that. But our governor vetoed a bill of legislation this week um, that came up to him to make the Bible the uh, state book of Tennessee. And I say, thank you, governor, for vetoing it. You say, Richard, what are you talking about? We need to be... Because here's the deal. If we make the Bible the official book of Tennessee, it's only going to create enemies of the Bible. You see... We are cowing to the world, and we are using the weapons of the world when we act like that. The power that we have is to be the Bible to the world. The the power that we have is to be humble servants of Christ that show love to our enemies. The, The power that we have is to love those and pray for those who spitefully use us. The power of the church is on our knees in prayer and with busy hands and feet serving our enemies, showing them the kind of grace and mercy and love that God has shown us. If you think, number one, that you can be a righteous soldier by putting your neighbor down, you don't understand how Christ saved you. You see, the only way I can rise up 
and act self-righteous to my neighbor who may be living a lifestyle that the Bible condemns. The only way I can rise up and condemn that person is to climb out of the pit of my own garbage of sin and wipe it all out of my eyes and say, you. The Christian knows his sin and says, me. I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve legislation to be cast against me. I deserve everything bad. But I've received the very mercy and grace of Jesus the Christ. He has died for me. He came and said, my life for yours. Who in the world am I to say your life for mine? You change for me. No, the only way to change our neighbors, and the, and the writer of Hebrews gets this, is to point to the deliverance that we have in the Deliverer. His name is Jesus. And we've been delivered to a different kingdom. The, the world can take our houses. The world can take our cars. The world can take our jobs. But they can't take Jesus from us. And so that's what the world needs to see, is the resilient people of Christ living out the glorious grace and mercy of Jesus to them where they are benefiting from the church. And dear friends, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is telling them. Don't worry about what's happening in the government. Yes, they're coming after you, but this is how you are to die. Die with dignity, die with joy, because your Savior came and bore up perfectly under persecution, and He rose from the dead. So die like Christians, that the world might know there's a greater hope than this world. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus is a brother who has and will continue to suffer with you. Oh, how beautiful this is. <clears throat> Jesus is a brother who will walk with you and suffer with you in the midst of loss and trial. I have some friends right now. There's a girl in my first youth group. Um, she's married now, has three daughters. And two of her daughters have terminal diseases. She's literally watching her daughters, her two little daughters, um, wilt before her eyes. It, it's horrible. Uh, their bodies are disintegrating. And, and the little girls are suffering all kinds of um, seizures and so forth. And yet, if you read the blog of my friend, she points to the grace and mercy of Christ. And... Now you begin to see the power of the kingdom of God. Because religion says this. Religion says in times of trials and suffering, you better not lose it or you might not get the favor of your God. <laughs> but Christianity says this. You already have the favor of God because of Jesus. His opinion of you does not depend on how you live today. His opinion of you was settled at Calvary. Because Jesus came and lived up under the law for you. He obeyed the law in your place because He knew that you could not bear up under it. He knew you would lose it in times of suffering. He knew that you would become idolaters of prosperity in times of prosperity. So He bore up under your sin 
by, by bearing up under the law. Then he became your sin at the cross, and God the Father rained down a just and righteous judgment upon Jesus because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we, through him, might become the very righteousness of Christ. And you know what Jesus does now? He, our faithful high priest, knows what it's like to live in this world and face the temptations we face. And so we have one who literally walks with us in the fire. We have one who is with us and for us, whose love nothing can separate us from. And so we have a brother in Christ Jesus Is that not crazy? Listen to verses 16 through 18. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He helps you and me. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Dear friends, do you know Jesus as a brother who walks with you in the trials of your life? Or is he a God that you feel like has that, your grandmother's switch? Surely you had a grandmother that had a switch. Mine did. I know that much. Had a fig tree in the backyard. Gives me chills thinking about it. That's not God. That's not God. He took the switch to Jesus so that now He can walk with you and me. Do you feel lonely? Do you feel isolated? You know the most lonely, isolated people are the people at top with the most money? Is that you this morning? Have you, have you come to a place where you realize your money and your power cannot save you? Well, guess what? There's good news and His name is Jesus. Do you get it? Do you see that paradigm shift where you don't have to be on top? But you can be weak. Are you low and you're feeling despondent? You don't have a job. You don't have any money. Your parents don't seem to care. What is your position? The Son of God Himself has been through it. Do you realize Jesus has been abandoned by His Father? It just feels like it to you. He was really abandoned. On the cross, He gets you. Whatever you're feeling this morning, He is a brother. This is not a different religion. This is not another religion I read, and i got to bring Prince, a Prince quote. I forgot to do it in the first service, but I'm going to bring it to you guys. Prince, in an interview, said, asked the interviewer if he um, believed that all religions were the same. The interviewer said yes. And he said, well, Jesus professed to be king. And so all religions are not the same. That was all he said. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's a great apologist. That's it. That is it. Do you understand that King Jesus took on your flesh, stood in your place, so that right now you could have a brother in the God of the universe to walk with you even unto death? He doesn't have to change your circumstances. Will he? He may. He has the power to. But if he chooses not to, guess what? It doesn't matter because he's your reward, not a change of your circumstances. The world and no other religion can say that. But Jesus Christ says that. He is a faithful 
an empathetic high priest because he's been where you are. He can empathize with where you are and he can walk with you through it. And even if it kills you, you're just going to wake up to him on the other side. Would you, would you come to Jesus this morning if you came in here not believing in him? And would you, hopefully, man, hopefully you're an encouraged Christian if you did come in here a Christian this morning. Because we can suffer and it will only, even if it leads to death, it will only take us to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Our great and glorious God, we thank you this morning for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that this is not some mythology. Um, This is not some story that was fabricated to help weak people have something to lean on. But we thank you that it's either true or it's not. And we believe it's true. And so, God, I pray that you would help those in this room this morning that need to make a decision for you, that need to decide, that need to get off the fence and say, I follow Jesus. Oh, God, I pray that you would push them over because that's the only way any of us get over that. So, Jesus, would you come? Would you convict and convince that you're a, a God who, who loves your children, sinners like us? It gives us hope beyond this world. Oh God, we thank you. We rejoice in you. We praise you. We give you the glory. We thank you that our hope doesn't reside in a job or a house or an NBA team. or It doesn't reside in anything but you, Lord Jesus. And because of you, we can enjoy everything else. So Father, would you come and do business with us this morning? May we do business with you. Help us to be about your corporate identity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.